Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, the federal parties are beginning to lay out their plans to revive Canada's economy after months of pain from COVID-19. What are the leaders promised so far? Well, we'll talk about that. And with the campaign fully underway in Ontario having the highest number of ridings, could Doug Ford and the PC Party of Ontario impact federal party standings? And as the Taliban take over Afghanistan, millions of Afghans fear a return to hardline Taliban rule and brutality against women. An Afghan native joins us from Kabul with the latest. It's all coming up in the Bill Kelly Podcast, and it starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. We got an election going on on this side of the border. And uh, yesterday, of course, Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole presented his party's platform. And, uh, well, leader Aaron O'Toole is promising to help Canada recover from the pandemic with a plan for jobs and the economy. Global's Abigail Beeman has some details. If elected in this platform, Conservatives are promising to spend upfront in the next couple of years to help Canada's pandemic recovery and still balance the budget in a decade. O'Toole is promising to recover one million jobs in a year through tools such as a job surge plan, paying up to 50% of a new higher salary for six months. He also wants to boost health transfer payments to the provinces and increase mental health funding. He's promising a GST holiday this fall, no federal tax for a month, plus a dine and deliver program promising 50% off at restaurants Monday to Wednesday for a month. The Liberals have been heavily focused on their $10 a day child care plan. O'Toole says he'd scrap it and offer a tax credit program that would cover up to 75% of the costs for low-income families instead. Abigail Beeman, Global News, Ottawa. Well, it should have been, I guess, a, a positive day for uh, Mr. O'Toole, but uh, he ended up playing defense an awful lot of the time. Joining us to talk about all of this is uh, good friend Richard Brennan, uh, former journalist for the Toronto Star who covered Queen's Park and Parliament Hill and has covered an election or two in his time as well. Uh, Badger, great to have you back. Hope you're doing well today. Good, Bill. Yourself? Good. Uh, you know, when the, the, the strategists plan this stuff out, they say, okay, this is going to be the big deal. Here's the book. Uh, you know, this is the way you're going to present this thing, and it should have been positive, positive, positive. Uh, but... Uh, as I say, Mr. O'Toole seems to be playing an awful lot of defense. Are people analyzing this, and whether he likes it or not, the vaccination issue is something that just doesn't seem to want to go away. No, you know, when when I first heard the the plan, and you know, it's got some of the details. I thought, you know, he's got some you know good ideas here: mental health mm-hmm. issues, and and uh, trying to get the economy, uh, you know, back in shape, and and all those kinds of things. It kind of, you know, that was probably predictable. But, you know, there's a lot of social programs that he, he talked about, too, which kind of surprised me. But you're right. He can't, he can't win on this vaccination front. You know, the federal government's saying all the federal workers are going to have, be, have to be vaccinated or get, a, I guess it is, get a, a regular test to prove that they don't have COVID. And, but he will not do that. And I, don't, I, I think he thinks he's appealing to some arm of the conservative supporters, but... It doesn't make any sense. It just say, call it what it is. It's a it's a pandemic, and we want to get over it. So here's what you got to do. But he won't do that, and he, and he's and he's going to pay the price right now, at least. Well, in in that particular situation, and we will get into some of the details that he talked about yesterday in a second. Uh, but 
as I mentioned in my commentary at 10 this morning on CHML, he may well have just handed the Liberals uh, the ballot box question about the pandemic and how you handle this. I mean, basically, O'Toole's attitude here seems to be, you know, we uh, uh, we really encourage vaccination, but if you don't want to get it, well, that's okay, too. Well, it's not okay. And, and medical experts are telling us that. And you know these guys, they're sniffing around at polling all the time. 75% of Canadians are in favor of proof of vaccination and vaccination. So who is he trying to appeal to? Well, it's a small minority, that's for sure. But I, whether this will become a become an issue at the ballot box, I'm not so sure about that, Bill. Yeah, it, it's it's going to it's going to uh, you know stick to them for sure. But whether that's the case, I don't I don't know. I think they're just bigger fish to fry. You know, whether somebody gets a vaccination, we, we all want to get through this, and eventually more people will start signing on and seeing the value of it. Hopefully. I don't think this will be the, the the straw that breaks the camel's back. But it's gonna it's gonna nag him until he does something oh, about oh, this. Not unlike what happened with Andrew Shear in the last election. They you know they started talking about a number of different social issues uh, that uh, that he just didn't seem to want to take a stand on. And every place he went, no matter what he wanted to announce, they kept bringing him back to these issues. And I can see the same thing happening here. Well, he could do you know pull a Ford, and you know a Ford didn't want it. You know, uh, uh, healthcare workers to didn't want to force them to be. Uh, vaccinated and all that, and he finally he finally backpedaled on that. So you may see him uh, change his tune. Well, he's going to have to, and I'm sure he's getting some advisors that are whispering in his ear right now. As a matter of fact, we're hearing that, uh, uh, I guess, the the Ontario cabinet's meeting today, and the, the story we're hearing is that they are going to change their policy on vaccinations, especially for government workers. So we'll, we'll wait for that announcement. Uh, but it's 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 an issue right now. I mean, as cases continue to rise, and I, I'll tell you right here in Ontario, uh, you know, a lot of people are ticked off about this because we want to get out of this thing. You know, we want to start going to ball games at full capacity like we're seeing on TV just about everywhere else in North America. We want to go to movie theaters. We want to start going to restaurants with full capacity. And it's not going to happen as long as the case numbers keep going up. And, you know, somebody has to connect the dots here to say, gee, maybe if more people got vaccinated, the case numbers would go down. I would argue there's just many people that are ticked off that there's an election. Sure. Uh, You know, uh, yeah, vaccination is an issue. There's no question about that. This election you know uh mike bradley the the mayor of uh, sarnia is i recall he ran in 1990 and uh, and you know when the when the in ontario when peterson had 50 percent going into the election and then it just all fell apart and he said down that way he can feel that same rumbling of concern and angst when people didn't like the fact that peterson called an early election he said he can see that and feel that now down his way. So you know, this is this is an unknown. The the uh, people who just feel uncomfortable about this uh, having to go back to the poll right during the pandemic. This, like I say, this remains the unknown. Uh, a lot of you know, there's a great many people that, that think you know see this as a five hundred million dollar eagle trip for Trudeau. And we'll see how this works out. I mean, the polls are in their favor right now. I think it's 36% and 31 for, uh, for the Tories and 20% mm-hmm. for uh, the NDP. But, Bill, you and I know that can change on a dime. Oh, sure. And, you know, it just depends uh, whether people really feel that strongly about it or whether it's just something they just want to, you know, moan about. 
But again, this is this is something that's just out there, and you really can't you can't put your finger on it. And the only reason I'm couching my concern about this is, is because we've seen this happen with every election. And, and I'm not trying to be cynical or pack one side or the other here, but does oh, anybody right, ever right, want... No does, nobody ever wants an election, except the political party that thinks they can gain from it. Yeah. Nobody has ever said, God, I wish we could go to the polls right now. I just love the lawn signs. You know, I love all the brochures stuffed in my mailbox. That, that, that just... They don't want one. Of course they don't. But you know something, usually, and we've seen this happen with just about every election, with the exception of the Peterson thing that you just talked about back way back when uh they get over it and they just say okay fine it is what it is and i guess but we have to deal with deal, it but they, i'll argue this is, is in the midst of a pandemic a fourth wave mm-hmm. that you know our, our concentration you know people believe the concentration should be and the house of commons should be on getting through this and and you know and getting you know getting beyond this rather than going to the polls you know, there's nothing wrong with an election. We all know that. There's, it, you know, it, it breathes new life into a country. But whether this is the time to do it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people out there who just question whether it, should, it is the time. Well, I think we'll probably get a, a better idea of that when we see what happens in Nova Scotia today. Uh, a similar situation, and uh, with the government going for re-election, and, and some people question that election call at the same time. And uh, I was talking with uh, Dr. Laurie Turnbull from Dalhousie yesterday, and you know, they're, they're concerned about voter turnout. They're going to see what happens today. But I, I think all the political parties are watching Nova Scotia right now to see, okay, how are people reacting to this? By the way, this is not the first election to be held during the pandemic either. No, uh, but this is a national election. It isn't. Yeah. A provincial election, mm-hmm. and 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 that's a different kettle of fish. Bill, did you see where did you see where uh, Trudeau and Ford are, are kind of making uh, you know amends? I I found that very interesting that they've decided not to. Uh, Trudeau has not decided that he will not chirp at Ford during this campaign, and uh, that uh, and Ford has decided that they won't get involved in this campaign one way or the other. Uh, there's a great piece in the Toronto Star that, uh, from uh, your friend Rob Benzie, uh, who uncovered this story. And contrast what, what he's talking about there with what happened in the last election. Uh, these guys were at each other's throats. And as as Rob mentioned in his piece, there was a, a rationale for that. I mean, that's when the, you know the, the Ford government was taking the feds to court about the carbon tax, uh, there were, you know the, the stickers on the gas pumps and everything else. I mean, they were at each other's heads for a long, long time. But and and Trudeau went after Ford in a big way, figuring he didn't even talk about Sheer when he was campaigning in Ontario. He talked about Doug Ford, uh, but. Times have changed. I mean, you know, Ford is is much better in the public polls now than he was back in those days because of his handling and some of the things that he's done. Uh, and and you're right; it's it's more than a truce. I, I, some of the quotes he mentioned here uh, from some high-ranking Tories are actually very complimentary to to the Trudeau government. I never thought I'd see that in the next little while. Well, there's a couple things that a couple things at play there, Bill. Uh, one is that Ford, you know, Ford is looking at the hi- history. And history has, is such that when there's a liberal government in Ottawa, there's a, you know, there is a Tory government in Ontario. And, and, all this and, and vice versa. Historical. And he's thinking about that. And he's thinking that, you know, Trudeau is high in the polls. There's a good chance he's going to get at least a majority. Does he really want to pick a fight with him at this point when there's, you know, money to be had federally and, and help for Ontario? So I mean, they, these both sides are stand to benefit from this truce. There's no question. 
Well, and the other element that he brought in, which I found was rather curious, too, is that, uh, that apparently Rob Ford and Aaron O'Toole are not the best of friends. Uh, I don't know what's the history there or what's going on with that, but uh, I, I, I'm wondering just how much of a, a factor Ford's going to be. I mean, essentially, I think he's told his team, and certainly the indications we're getting from the Premier himself, is that he's staying out of this election altogether. I don't think Ford cares whether, you know, I don't think cares whether uh, O'Toole loses. That's just the impression I get. And, and certainly this deal certainly speaks to that, that, you know, he, he just, he, he doesn't think, you know, A, you know, it, Ford would be speaking out of uh, other side of his mouth if he thought for a second that O'Toole was going to form a government. And that's why he, he just, he's throwing his lot in with Trudeau and saying, no, you know, it's, it's a devil, you know, and let, let's, let's get on with it. Quickly, you got a couple of minutes left here. Let's yeah. talk a little bit about what O'Toole put in the in, in the booklet yesterday. Uh, he's he's spending money uh, like a liberal. Uh, you know, they accused the liberals of throwing money all over the place in the last little while uh, during the pandemic and the and some of the support programs for that. Uh, he's he's kind of you know met that ante and, and and upped it a little bit with some of the stuff he's promising here. Oh uh, no, uh, no question about it. He is he's willing to spend money, but what what his Achilles heel is. Is this daycare? Yeah, you know the un- federal liberals are saying that we'll, you know, to come up with a ten dollar a day daycare. People can understand that, you know, like okay, that's what it's going to be. And seven of the provinces have signed, already signed on to that and said we're, we want we we're willing to join forces with you in that. But he comes up with some kind of convoluted. This is O'Toole that is convoluted system where it's it's you know a tax write down or a write off and uh and you know if you make you know a hundred and fifty thousand dollars less than a hundred and fifty thousand dollars you'll be eligible for it and that you know keep things simple bill we all know you know if you keep things simple people will glom onto it and understand it don't try and throw a, a some kind of convoluted program Adam, and say well we're just as good as we're just as good as the liberal plan and maybe in the end it is but who understands it and who cares there's an interesting comment uh bob fife a former globe and mail guy or ctv guy who's on is writing for the globe and mail uh was on with evan solomon yesterday and uh he made an interesting observation about this he said he says the the canadian plan the trudeau plan for child care is essentially the quebec plan with a couple of modifications uh but o'toole is basically saying he's going to wipe all that out uh well the people in quebec are not going to take kindly to that and 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 fife was asking out loud have the tories written off quebec and simply said we don't care this is not going to fly there anyway but maybe it'll fly in the rest of the country uh if so that's a rather risky strategy isn't it well what he's doing is he's following in the footsteps of harper uh former you know prime minister stephen harper who always loved to say let people handle their own money you know we'll we'll bring in a program that gives money to the people directly or indirectly like parents for example and let them decide how they're going to spend this money and that's what he, that's where that mindset is right now rather than just coming out and saying this is this is 10 dollar a day daycare for your child this isn't for for you to spend on whatever but the, the, the Tories have always thought that people should be entitled to spend it the way they like 
Well, uh, and again, that's dipping back into the conservative policy, and you're right. I mean, that, that harkens all the way back to Stephen Harper, which is a bit of a, a, a surprise, I guess, given the fact that he's in one way tried to gain some sort of separation uh, from Mr. Harper. But at the same time, uh, you know, there's that base in Saskatchewan and Alberta that he seems to want to pander to, and and, and that that's that's the Harper mentality. That's the Harper aura that's still there, and he's, I guess, not he's paying more than lip service to it, isn't he? Yeah. He is, uh, but Harper never, he, he would never write off Quebec like he seems no. to have with uh, saying that he'd get rid of the, the, uh, the $7 daycare, I, think, I believe, and that the program that he had in Quebec for quite some time. So I don't know where, I don't know what his thinking is. I don't, you know, what, you know, if he, if he wanted to do something, Bill, he could have said, okay, well, the liberals are going to give you $10, we're going to give you 12 or or something like that that people could understand. Yeah. But he didn't. And, well, and, that's, and that is going to be, quite frankly, his Achilles heel as young parents go to the polls and think, who's got the better deal for my child? And, you know, are you going to pick the one you can understand or pick the one that's kind of out there and maybe, maybe not? Well, uh, the analysis will continue, and uh, you know, one of the other questions, of course, is what does this do to create new daycare spaces, and I don't think there was an answer to that either. Uh, we got to run. We're just about out of time on this one, Badger. Uh, as always, thanks for this. Okay, uh, lots, lots more campaigning to come, so lots more conversations uh, coming up in the next couple of days. Richard Brennan, a former journalist for the Toronto Star who covered Queen's Park and the Parliament Hill for so many years, uh, and as I say, a, a veteran of so many different uh, political campaigns, both provincially and federally. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. As uh, we wrap up with day three now of the federal election campaign, we're just talking with uh, Richard Brennan about uh, the strategies uh, that Aaron O'Toole uh, seems to be uh, adhering to. And, of course, the campaign book was out yesterday. Uh, they're all on the road these days, uh, campaigning and making different promises. But what about the analysis? About what is happening here? And what about relationships within elections and, and just how important those are? Uh, to talk about that, we're so pleased to welcome back to the program Muhammad Ali, who is a senior consultant with Crestview Strategies. Uh, Muhammad, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for the time today. Thanks for having me, Bill. This is uh, right into your wheelhouse, of course, election campaigns and strategies. And uh, uh, it's, uh, it's a, an exciting time, but it's also uh, a very important time. One wrong move can, well, can cost you an election, can't it? Oh, for sure. You have to be uh, on message. You need to be prepared for the unexpected. Uh, and you need to be able to uh, articulate a, a good message to, to, to voters because uh, someone else can take over and, and, and there's only so much space you can have in terms of a, a voter attention span uh, in terms of getting your message out. Well, I mentioned on my commentary earlier this morning on CHML, I said the one rule what, that you follow in politics is don't give the opposition anything that you could, they can use against you, an ammunition like that. And uh, and and because that could be deadly, we've seen that happen in past elections. Maybe the classic one was years and years ago in the provincial election when John Tory talked about you know, full funding for all religious schools. That seemed to turn the election around, uh, and Dalton McGuinney was reelected. So it, it it is pivotal in a situation like that. Uh, there's a lot of criticism uh, of with what Aaron O'Toole presented yesterday. Talk a little bit about that. And, and the, the, of course, there's the Willy Wonka ad, which uh, I don't know who was the one that gave the thumbs up for that, but that seemed to backfire on them. Uh, do those things last long? or is that just day two and this is day three now and it's all forgotten? Well, yeah, the, that Willy Wonka, I have no idea. I, I would love to be a fly on the wall and not decision-making. But, um, you know, that probably is probably going to stay behind. It doesn't really help, again, to kick you off on the right foot uh, to show that you're a party waiting to govern. Um, 
you know, the early days right now, a lot of the vaccine conversation going on about mandating vaccines, particularly for federal public service employees, for crown corporations, and for the federal, uh, federally regulated transportation sectors. Um, the conservatives kind of are in, the, in this kind of spot where they have two factions in their group of uh, those who are in favor of mandatory vaccines or in favor of vaccine in general, and others who are like, no, what's, what's my right? I don't want to take the vaccine. And so you're seeing Aaron O'Toole kind of stumble out the block, which will likely kind of have an impact because it's a very topical point. Uh, everyone is talking about vaccines. Everyone's done a vaccine recently. So to, to kick off on a kind of a stumbled foot with, uh, with vaccines and, and mandate, which is a very popular uh, policy, uh, which the Liberals and now the NDP have, have adopted. So it's likely to stick around. Um, some of the other stuff is probably not so much, but for sure this one. Well, and I'm wondering just how effective and how long-lasting that's going to be. I, I don't know that they wanted it to be a, a, an issue, uh, but it's certainly one that's going to dog him, as we were just talking about in our previous segment, Mohammed. Uh, once the media and certainly the opposition parties uh, see that there's a weakness there, they're going to exploit that. I mean, you know, it, if, if Mr. O'Toole, I don't know where he's going to go today, what announcements he's going to make, but whatever it is, it's probably something to do with his budget or his, uh, his platform from yesterday. But you know the media questions are going to be about the vaccination program once again, and it, that, that's the sort of thing that until you actually come up with something here uh, that they'll say, okay, that one's over, we can move on. They're going to keep at him about that. And I, I guess the thing that, that astounds an awful lot of us is the polling that's been done on this indicates that about 75% of Canadians are in favor of not just vaccination, but proof of vaccination. Uh, and and uh, the Liberals have read into that. The NDP have read into that. The Green Party have, uh, to a point, read into that. Uh, but Mr. O'Toole is adamant that uh, that he wants this laissez-faire attitude, that if you don't want one, that's okay, too. I, I just wonder, is he not reading the tea leaves here? Yeah, this is a pretty seems to be a theme with the Conservatives. I mean, if you remember back in 2019, it was the issue around Andrew Shear's, um views on abortion and lgbtq mm -hmm. rights uh that dogged in the entire election because he didn't have a real answer it wasn't really in something that was uh, appealing to to canadians and to voters <clears throat> and so you're seeing that same kind of approach where the liberals were successful last time and really pivoting in the message around and focusing around this this core issue uh though they may not have been the number one issue for for voters at the time around abortion lgbtq rights uh it became one and this time around, vaccines are a top of mind, top of issue concern for voters. And to see Aaron O'Toole continue to stumble and not be the position he needs to put his party in. You know, there is a degree of uh, kind of internal politics of what's progressive policy. Well, progressive policy doesn't have to be always on, on defined one way. It can also be like, well, society has largely agreed that this is the right thing. This is the best measure for public health and public security. His um, mantra is secure the country. Well, you know, securing the country requires a strong policy to protect Canadians. And he's sort of falling on the wayside about, uh, with that. Well, and, and I guess uh, we have to look at the landscape here, I guess, too, don't we, Mohammed? I mean, you know, that, new cases are on the rise. And that's, that's frightening. Hospitalizations and even some ICU numbers are starting to creep up again uh, to dangerous levels. Uh, and the uh, medical experts, let alone the politicians, are all telling us the way out of this is vaccination. Uh, so it's, it seems to be running totally contrary to what Mr. O'Toole is talking about here. I mean, if we were in a different circumstance, if we had 85-90% vaccination and we're into herd immunity and the numbers were down, this is a non-issue. But it's quite the opposite right now. Yeah, and, and right now we're sort of in the, the pandemic of the unvaccinated. Uh, and so to, to not take advantage of the opportunity to really hone in on good policy that 
promotes uh, vaccinations amongst those who are probably hesitant or anti-vaxxers or those who just haven't had a chance to get access to it. You know, there is that issue of, of access and that's more of a provincial thing. But, you know, we have to put that policy out there to encourage people as much as possible and, and require because we want people to be safe. And, you know, if you're vaccinated, as some of the experts have said, like you can still get, uh, get COVID and, and spread it. So it's important for everyone to get vaccinated uh, to keep themselves protected and so that we can achieve herd immunity and get back to truly normal. I want to ask you about the relationship between uh, Premier Ford and, and the Prime Minister, or Mr. Trudeau, I guess, because officially uh, he's just candidate Trudeau at this stage, I suppose. We need to stick to, to, the, to that element of it. Uh, the last federal election, uh, these guys were butting heads on a pretty regular basis. And, and uh, we, we know, of course, that Andrew Scheer didn't want to be anywhere near Rob Ford anytime he was campaigning. I think one of the stories that, that I recall uh, was he did a campaign thing. It was about a five-minute walk away from where Mr. Ford lived, but he didn't even invite him to it, let alone mention his name, uh, which I guess pretty much characterized the, the relationship between those two. Uh, and it just seems as if, uh, from the words that we're getting out of Queen's Park and, and the Premier's office these days, uh, I'm, I'm not sure they're ever going to link arms and sing Kumbaya together, but they seem to have called a truce anyway, and uh, we're getting the sense out of uh, out of uh, Mr. Ford's office now that he's pretty much told his team, stay out of this election. Does, does that surprise you? It doesn't really surprise me. I think there's a couple of things to look at here. Uh, one is uh, we're, we have a different Doug Ford this time around. Uh, in 2019, he was polling at probably the worst premier in the country. Uh, he was polling at numbers that Kathy Wynne was pulling before she lost. Uh, the Liberals had lost in 2018, uh, and so and he and he was pulling a lot of very polarizing policies. He's repaired his image a bit throughout the pandemic and shown his ability to compromise, and he's built a very deep relationship with particularly uh, the Deputy Prime Minister, or I guess right now, uh, Christopher Friedland. Mm-hmm. Um, and that relationship had really helped foster a close relationship with also the Prime Minister, and you've seen uh, the Premier on repeated occasions uh, be very complimentary of the Prime Minister, or in this case, just, sorry, Justin Trudeau, uh, and, and the work that they have done. And they've worked very collaboratively very well uh, on a number of issues, and particularly have brought in investment into the province that the Premier has prioritized, you know, such as the Ontario line, uh, transit line in, in, in Toronto. So it's not surprising. And, and when Aaron O'Toole got elected as, as leader, he, Premier Ford had said, no, we're not going to get involved. I don't want to campaign. And I think there's still some that frostiness from 2019, how he was snubbed and quite frankly disrespected, as you said, from uh, camping stuff in his own neighborhood and not being told about it or not even being mentioned by name. Uh, and I think that's that kind of hold, held on to it. And, and right now, it doesn't really benefit the Premier either to be very involved in this federal election because uh, the policies that he may be in favor of are not really popular right now broadly or even in Ontario. Uh, and I don't think he wants to rehash that with the prime minister, who right now is leaning on the policies that are popular with voters right now. I was surprised uh, even to the extent where the, the Ford government is, uh, well, having some negotiations. But, I mean, they seem to, to sign on to, to the, the Trudeau government's uh, child care policy, which was some surprising. I mean, that's seven of, of the provinces now that are on side. Uh, and you know, I think, uh, you know, they did say that there may be some modifications, and they said, well, okay, we can talk about that. Uh, but there's a there's a willingness to cooperate here right now, which just wasn't there in the last election. And, and maybe, as you mentioned, it was because of the situation. I mean, they were you know, loggerheads in, in court, federal court right now, about the carbon tax, and, you know, he was suing the federal government for that. Uh, and, but they got into name-calling and a whole lot of other things that, uh, that really, I think, dragged everybody into the mud. 
Uh, I don't know if they're older and wiser now, but as you say, from a political standpoint, I guess it makes sense to declare a truce. Ontario is going to be a, a, a big battleground in this election. Yeah, this this, uh, this election on chairs and key, particularly for the Liberals, to pick up a few more seats. Obviously, there are some seats that they need to hold on to that were uh, very tight, uh, particularly around the GTA and, and rural Ontario and southwestern Ontario. But yeah, there, there's a lot of collaboration that's gone on. And the, the child care policy was a very popular policy right now, both from a social and an economic side of um, is, is, is works in, in the Premier's uh, uh, perspective. Um, and obviously, you're seeing some of the negotiating language that's come out from uh, Minister Lecce about, uh, you know, we do have early learning child care in the schools already. So how does that kind of work in terms of funding? That's that's all no, uh, fine because every province has a unique approach. And so being a battleground, it's important for the premier to be careful because he also has an election coming up in June. And I think he wants to, and as we've seen, move away from the public eye to kind of repair his image let cooler heads prevail and let voters focus on something else besides him and his approach to the pandemic because he's looking to kind of uh, reset things and i think this is a good opportunity for him to reset because he does have a productive relationship with the prime minister uh, there's still very much a team canada kind of mentality among voters that they appreciate uh, so him coming out hard against them may not may backfire more than help them it takes a lot of pressure off the premier too doesn't it mohammed because I mean, there's been a lot of of talk and a lot of pressure put on this government about a child care program here in ontario a much broader program uh it takes it makes it a lot easier for them to simply partner with an existing federal program than to try to create something of their own yeah it definitely is and and part of that means you see the negotiating that to make sure it's not a, a federal liberal policy only it's also like an ontario made policy uh so they can save face saying look we deliver child care an ontario made plan and work with the federal government on something important. And I think this is where, um, you know, there's money coming in from the feds. So it's not a lot of Ontario money having to be spent, which is something important to, the, to this government because of the, the deficit that they're they're facing right now due to the pandemic. And again, they're working well on, on a number of issues. Uh, they've worked well on the vaccines. They've worked well on transit. They've worked well on infrastructure. They're working better on the environment, you know, following that, that court challenge. So, a lot of positives, so, and, and childcare is a very popular policy right now, uh, particularly by those swing voters that the Premier will need to convince for another mandate in, in 2022. Well, especially, as you said, because of some of the funding announcements that have made and the cooperation and, and collaboration between uh, the, the federal government and, and Ford's government here, uh, you got to know, and your point's well taken. I mean, uh, next June, there, there's going to be a provincial election here in Ontario. Uh, and you can chalk all these things up here. Those go into the campaign brochures for the Ford team, don't they? I mean, and you, you want to maintain that relationship to make sure those programs and that funding still is going to be there at that time. Yeah, and I think also they, they also want to protect their war chats right now. Uh, they're going to want to spend a lot leading up to this uh, to their election in June 2022 and I don't think they want to spend too much time uh, targeting the Prime Minister who is relatively still quite popular in Ontario uh, and he's and more popular than the Premier so I think it works out for him to make sure that he can still get things done uh, in this lead up to the to the election because uh, he still needs to work with the feds on a number of pieces whether childcare and other other investments because there's a lot of cooperation between both um, so it's it, it, it's a positive thing for them to kind of call this quote-unquote truce. Um, I hope it does last because I think it benefits both sides uh, uh, to, not, to not target each other in this uh, federal election. 
Well, we heard stories, and I'm sure you have as well, that uh, that the Ford government, uh, this is before this sense of cooperation uh, seemed to be forged, uh, had actually set about $3 million aside as a war chest uh, that they were planning on using uh, for advertising uh, during the federal campaign. So in other words, I, I think there were at least some people in the party that were anticipating a repeat of what happened in the last election, and that, that animosity between the prime minister and, and the premier, but uh, apparently that's not it. Uh, he says, uh, well, as one senior advisor in the Ford cabinet said, this is not our fight, uh, which is highly unusual, but uh, I guess welcome news for everybody. I don't know what they're going to do with that $3 million now, but apparently they're not going to get into this element. They actually went to the extent of saying even if some of the local candidate, liberal candidates start knocking the premier, he, what was the phrase they used here? We'll just turn the other cheek. Uh, that that t- tells you there's a commitment here, isn't there? Yeah, there truly is a commitment. Obviously, you know, we can't control local candidates and they'll say what they need to, um, pending obviously nothing too, too, uh, malicious or anything. But, uh, yeah, they have, they have the work and they're prepared. And I think the liberals also were prepared at the federal level to, uh, launch ads that they needed to and prepare language. But I think they both saw, you know, this is not helpful for them. And I think this also slightly benefits Aaron O'Toole as well because he has an issue of identity with, with voters. No one knows mm-hmm. who he is. No one understands who he stands for. And Doug Ford is a very uh, well-known, big brand uh, name across the country, uh, let alone in Ontario, where Aaron O'Toole is, is struggling quite a bit. So I think it also benefits him a bit to have the Premier a little bit out, but I don't think to this degree, I think, doesn't help him because there is some popularity among some uh, some pockets of Ontario where Doug Ford could have helped Aaron O'Toole shore up support. But I think overall, if... if name recognition building and brand building was important for the federal conservatives. I think it helps them to have the premier out of the, the picture a little bit and not focus, not the focus of, of messaging by the prime minister or sorry, uh, Justin Trudeau in this election. Very quickly, Mohammed, in the last election, uh, it was pretty evident that the, the main problem in Ontario, especially for the conservatives, uh, was in the urban centers. They just did not resonate well with urban voters. Uh, did pretty well in some of the rural areas, some of the more small C conservative areas. Uh, do you hear anything or see anything from what Mr. O'Toole has presented so far that, that indicates that, that they can maybe chip away at that? I think there's. Uh, you know, it's a bit of a mix, right? Like the, the, the vaccine thing, you know, back to our earlier point, uh, is very popular, particularly in those urban urban uh, ridings uh, where, you know, COVID was running rampant, you know, Peel region, Toronto, York region, uh, the Kitchener-Waterloo area, right? These are your key battleground ridings uh, for the conservatives to try and pick up seats. And they're on, they're on the wrong side of that policy there. There's some interesting stuff in the conservative platform, but I don't think it's it's a winning formula that you need to to sell it. I think right now with his you know position on childcare, you know to scrap the agreements that the federal liberals have signed with with, uh, with uh, seven provinces out of ten and nearly another couple and more with with Ontario and New Brunswick, um, it doesn't he doesn't put himself on the right side of, of things, and so. Uh, I don't. I'm not hearing right now a lot of uh, positive momentum from uh, Tories on the ground in, in the GTA. You know, they may be able to hold whatever seats that they have, but not not a lot of movement forward. Well, it's going to be fascinating. It is early days, but uh, you know, trends can be set in early days. Uh, Mohammed, always great to get your perspective on this. Uh, the very very important election, and uh, hopefully we can touch base again down the road. Thanks for this today. For sure. Thanks for having me. Take care, Muhammad Ali, senior consultant with Crestview Strategies. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. We want to turn now to uh, to the devastating uh, story and pictures that we've seen over the last couple of days in Afghanistan, and more specifically in Kabul. Uh, it's it's heart wrenching to see people 
trying desperately to get out of the country as the Taliban uh, continue their surge in the country. Uh, and as they take over Afghanistan now uh, with the Taliban, uh, desperate Afghans are asking for help, uh, fearing what's going to happen to them with hardline extremists now controlling. Uh, the president has left the country. Millions of citizens are trying to flee. Global's Jennifer Johnson gives us a picture. Chaos and desperation at Kabul airport. Thousands of Afghans swarmed the runway, trying to stop an American military plane from taking off. A few clinging to the side of the plane. At least seven people were killed in the turmoil. Panic in Kabul City, too. Everything is closed. Basically, people are very afraid. President Joe Biden, silent for days at Camp David, returned to the White House. In a nationwide address, the president again defended his decision to pull U.S. troops out of Afghanistan, opening the floodgates for Taliban control with 20 years' worth of discarded U.S. military equipment. American troops cannot and should not be fighting in a war and dying in a war that Afghan forces are not willing to fight for themselves. Thousands of U.S. troops quickly pulled out American embassy staff, leaving behind millions of Afghans who now fear a return to hardline Taliban rule and brutality against women. It's it's a, a very complicated situation, and uh, we're, we're going to talk about the, the comments from President Biden a little bit later on this hour, and uh, and the uh, the implication that that well, it was still the right thing to do, and that's not sure everybody agrees with it. It's a political hot potato in the United States, especially because uh, a number of Republicans for the longest time had uh, suggested that we had to get out of Af- me, meaning the Allied forces, had to get out of Afghanistan, and uh, they're they're rather tight-lipped about it right now, uh, because they would contradict themselves. If they did that but the concern right now there's the politics of this and and that's you know not to short shrift that because it's very important uh, what's going to happen politically in that country right now uh, if in fact uh, the government has fallen and it certainly appears that it has uh, do nations like Canada the United States uh, the UK for instance uh, recognize the Taliban government as the legitimate government of Afghanistan it's a legitimate question without an easy answer and uh, you know what about the Taliban themselves you know have they changed I mean we're getting all a uh, mixed messaging from uh, Taliban representatives and leadership about what's happening there and what they'd like to see happen in the future uh, none the least of which of course is is the status of, of women in that society uh, we know that there were incarcerations that they were not allowed to go to school the young girls not allowed to go to school in situations like that uh, women were essentially told to stay out of business and commerce uh, and certainly in politics and uh, that changed after the American and Canadian and UK forces and others uh, landed there. And we know that children were allowed to be educated, especially young girls. Uh, women have moved into businesses. Women have moved into politics in some situations. And uh, they're fearing for their lives right now. Many women have gone into hiding, uh, which is a terrible situation. Uh, we're told that even those that have ventured out are hiding cell phones because they're apparently not allowed to use the latest technology. And uh, they're fearful about what might be happening, about incarceration or any number of other things, and the reposition of some of the laws that were in place uh, with the Taliban before. Now, you juxtapose that with what we're hearing from the Taliban leadership that are suggesting that, no, we're more moderate now. Uh, paraphrasing some of the comments that they made, that yes, they do want to encourage women uh, to to stay in school, young girls to stay in school, and yes, they do want to encourage women to to go and get jobs and and enter politics if they so desire. You might expect that uh, a lot of people are, are accepting those comments from the Taliban with some skepticism based on what's going on. As uh, Richard Engel from NBC News reported uh, yesterday uh, from Kabul, uh, 
the world is watching right now. They're seeing what's going on. We're watching the pictures of what's happening at the airport with people trying to get out of the country. Uh, we're seeing the, the, the concern with people on the street on a daily basis in Kabul and in other parts of Afghanistan. And uh, the Taliban right now may just be on their best behavior because everyone is watching and, and looking and seeing what's going to happen and what the future holds, the short-term future and the long-term future. And uh, it's, it's, it's a, a very tenuous situation right now uh, that, uh, that has to happen. But the Taliban look at this, as, as uh, Richard Engel reported from NBC, that it's a victory. That, you know, we did what we did with the Russians. We did what we've done with anybody who's tried to invade our country. We just wait them out. And they've gone now. They've left. And now it's just us again, and we are the government. Uh, and they want to celebrate that victory. They, they want others to, to recognize them for their accomplishment. Uh, that's their attitude, apparently. And, and with that in mind, uh, they don't want to do anything radical. Uh, if, in fact, uh, they even had that mindset right now, they figure this is not the time for that. That seems to be the attitude of some of the Taliban leaders. Now, as we've also been told from a number of other people uh, that have uh, been talking to us over the last couple of days, this is not necessarily a highly structured organization, that being the Taliban. And what the leadership say uh, to the media may not, in fact, be what's happening on the ground. Uh, there are different cells, different elements of the Taliban uh, that may have their own ideas about what should and shouldn't be happening vis-a-vis uh, -vis women's rights, voting, and a number of other things. So uh, we don't know what's going to be happening, which I think leads to that kind of apprehension that, uh, that we're hearing and seeing from so many people. Uh, so that's the, uh, the political side of things, and it certainly is important. But the more important thing, I think, at this stage is, is the humanitarian side. And you know, those pictures we've seen of people clinging to planes, uh, you know, blocking planes in the airports, uh, thousands of them in, in situations like that, trying to desperately to get out of the country, I think speaks to the, to the desperation that many people are feeling. To give us a better sense of what's going on, we are so pleased to welcome our next guest to the program. Uh, we will identify him simply as Rafi, an Afghan native in Kabul. Uh, the reason for that, of course, is for security, uh, not just national security, but individual security. Uh, many people who speak truth or speak out about uh, the Taliban uh, do so at their own peril in that country, and there's always concern about repercussions to that. Uh, so with that in mind, uh, first of all, Rafi, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you on the program. Thank you. Uh, talk to us about what you're seeing. I know that you were just out a little while ago uh, as we were trying to hook up with you. Uh, what are the streets like today, Rafi? Uh, mm, uh, how to say this? Because uh, the uh, Kabul just passed uh, like a uh, fall in the hand of some people. Like they don't, uh, how to say, they have a very bad and very bad history before. Because mm -hmm. this is the second time that these people come. And whenever you go just around the Kabul city, uh, since uh, back two days or three days, you've seen that there is a, a scare on the face of people stress, depression, and you see that maybe in the city there is no one, and all most of the shops are closed, markets were closed, people are staying home due to their scare, afraid, and stress, what will happen this past two days, even we, Kabul don't have any president, any president, anyone to take the lead, anyone to take the responsibility. So whenever you just walk in the street of Kabul, especially yesterday and the day before, was very, very, very sadful. And we see just both for us, for Kabul citizens, uh, like a, just to cry and cry to say what happened to this country, what happened to our city. 
some of the Afghan leadership, I'm sure you've seen some of the comments, Rafi, are saying, no, we're going to be different this time. We're more moderate than we were 20 years ago. Uh, we're going to respect women's rights. We're going to respect free elections. Do you believe what they're saying? Uh, to be honest, uh, for starting of a new uh, government, uh, they promised such a thing. They want to say some such a thing to show they are modern, to show that they are uh, committed for the human rights, women rights, child rights, and this stuff. Because uh, to show the international community that we are, we changed, and you have to uh, give us the right for the, being the uh, formal offshore government of the country for Afghanistan. But uh, to be honest, I'm not, uh, uh, I don't trust it. I don't have trust on these people, because uh, whenever they sign the agreement of MOU, Member of Understanding, what in the U.S., they, they agreed on it that we will not attack the lost cities. But we've seen the attack on Herat, the attack on Helmand, the attack on Kandahar, the attack on Kunduz, and they killed hundreds of civilians, hundreds of civilians. And that's why we are not uh, trusting these people. And for sure, for nowadays, for a month or two, uh, they will act like this, and they will show themselves that they're very uh, democratic people, or they are very those people who uh, argue for the human right and the right of women. And this. currently, they, they are announcing every day that oh, everyone should go for their jobs. Everyone should go for their organization. Everyone should go, male and female. But uh, what we experience, what we have experienced from last time and what we experienced from their committed, uh, commitment for Afghan government, for U.S., they didn't uh, like a, uh, stay on that. They just broke in and thought what they want. So that's why uh, we are afraid of that, that for now they'll agree and they accept it. But I'm not sure for after a couple of months, do they will be in Spain the same, uh, uh, like, a, their commitment. And I don't trust them. Uh, personally, and personally, I don't trust these people. Because several times they, they uh, like, a, they did, and they brought in their promises. We know that there are humanitarian efforts to try to get people out of that country right now, Rafi. We've seen those pictures of the airport, people clinging to planes and, and crowding onto the runways. Uh, there are a lot of people who helped the, the American, the U.K. and Canadian forces while they were there, interpreters and the like, uh, that fear for their lives right now. Uh, are you confident that the people that need to get out of the country for their own safety will be able to get out of the country? Uh, in current situations, it's a little bit difficult. Uh, as I work for the international communities, for I work for USAID, I work for UK, I work for some uh, grants of the Canadians, uh, but still uh, I'm I'm not able to go out because uh, since a couple of days, whenever the uh, when there was opportunity to evacuate these people, these organizations didn't act. They asked for some uh, some specials. Like uh, Canadian take out some of their uh, staff, those who work directly with the Canadian embassy or uh, Canadian agencies, uh, or the UK same for translators and some people who work for the Fed or some who work for the uh, Commonwealth uh, Department. But for those Afghans who work uh, indirectly or they have uh, 
uh, not directly employee of this uh, uh, organization or this uh, country. They work as a grantee, they work as a contractor, they work as a service contract. So these people are essentially very under very high risk contract. But uh, since a couple of days, like uh, three days, we don't have any civilian flights or commercial flights. Uh, like the past two days, even we don't have military flights because most of the people think that the American and the Canadian taking out this, uh, the local people without any passport and visas. So everyone just rush and everyone just go to the airport and attack on the airport and they stay in the airport after last night. That made the, um, these people will come and take out us. So like it's more than thousands of the people come. And uh, for the Afghan situation, because there's um, uh, several checkpoints, several checkpoints of the Taliban in the way to airport. Even the Taliban is in the gate of airport, the entrance gate. So um, I'm not sure that it will be safe for some reasons that this uh, local staff uh, will travel or because uh, Taliban has several checkpoints, even they have uh, uh, the uh, right or the control of the entry gate of the uh, airport. Rafi, because of your background and the work that you've done, do you fear for your safety? Uh, I'm so worried about my safety, not only my, my family's safety. Because uh, before, uh, uh, I received a threat before of uh, a fault of the government, uh, like a mm, couple of months before, someone called me that soon we will come and see, soon we will mm, see you and we will let you know what is working uh, with the international forces, what will be the punishment of working with the national forces. So, you know, uh, just after four days, after four days, this is my first time, decided to go out to take some fruits and uh, vegetables to home. It's only 300 meters from my home. After four days, I just out from home. Uh, and I never go out. Like, I currently, I'm, I'm thinking that I'm a prisoner. I'm in a jail. I'm just waiting to, to, to find my freedom. Because uh, I know... Uh, that uh, most of the people who work, I uh, work in the places or in the places that one I, I work, maybe they know me. And those people who uh, hit me, uh, they know me because they have the num- my number and for sure they know uh, me by face. So I'm so worried. Even I'm worried because, because of my family. Uh, but we we couldn't do anything. Only to stay at home and just pray for God to save our life. Rafi, our thoughts and prayers are with you. There's so many people in Canada right now that are, are pressuring our government to do more and the American government to do more, and we certainly hope that they respond to that. Thank you. I, I know you took a risk to even talk to us today and to go out today as you did. Uh, we wish you and your family all the best and, and, and hopefully a safe resolution to this. Uh, please take care of yourself, and uh, we, we just hope that, that things are going to work out for you. Thank you for this today. Oh, thanks, sir. Thank you, sir. I wish that uh, those uh, international organizations, the guys who work with them, not only me, maybe there's a lot of people like me that currently they will just stay at home in like a jail and they're waiting to support it back and to pay it back what they served, they did the services. And thanks, I hope uh, you guys pass these messages and I'm sure you will pass these messages and I hope there will be... Uh, an action for this to save the life of hundreds of thousands of Afghans. Absolutely. Rafi, uh, 
God help you and, and, and all of the people in your country right now. Uh, stay safe, uh, and we thank you again for your time today. Uh, we identify Rafi, obviously, because of those security reasons, just as Rafi. With the number of people who are speaking out uh, don't want uh, their names out there because, well, you know, the Taliban are listening, and they uh, are, are looking for people right now. We know that there are going to be repercussions, so uh, we appreciate Rafi uh, very bravely taking some time to talking to us today. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.